Stephanie and then at camp, youth camp last week. Um, uh, but before that, I do want to just make a, a quick mention uh, for if you would pray for Brother Larry. I believe he's not doing the best. Uh, in fact, they were batting around taking him uh, to the hospital, I think, this morning. Uh, you know, he had surgery recently, and so just um, maybe actually let's just take a minute to pray for him at this, this time and just pray that God's healing hand would uh, be upon uh, Brother Larry and just uh, comfort the family there. Father, we thank you again for bringing us together uh, on this Sunday morning, and we thank you for Brother Larry and the entire family. Uh, they are a blessing to this church, uh, but Lord, you know that they have uh, recently gone through a little bit of a tough time. And so, Father, we want to lift him up to you. We know that you are indeed the great physician. He's in your hands. Uh, we pray that you would, uh, if it be possible in your will, that you would heal him, that you bring him back to good health, bring him back again to uh, meet with us. Um, but, Lord, we know that your will and your plan sometimes uh, supersedes what our knowledge is. And so we just pray that your grace would be evident in their life at this moment. And so we just uh, pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, and I'm sure that they would appreciate maybe uh, a word or two throughout the week, just checking in on them. Uh, so if you can do that, I'm sure they would enjoy that. Um, but as I said, I do want to just give a little bit of an update on the last several weeks. And again, I appreciate your prayers for me as I traveled out to Broken Hill. Uh, we did a kids club out there, so if I can get this thing to work, there we go. Uh, but first off... I stopped over in Adelaide, visited a friend there, and I went to the, uh, I've, very, I've, had, I've had a very hard time here in Australia getting Mexican food, but we found a Mexican place, and where's Brother Ricardo? He's, oh, there he is, he sneaked in the background. So I put it out there for our Mexican family. Um, I did get some Mexican food on my, my little holiday. Um, next off, we went out to, I, I went over to Adelaide and then went up to Ad, uh, Broken Hill. And there's a, a sculpture, they have a bunch of sculptures out there, but just want to give you a few pictures here. We had some uh, Bible lessons, some songs with the kids. There's a, a picture there of, at the church, the building they're using, and the group of kids that we had, about 15 to 20 kids throughout the week. And uh, so we did crafts, just the, you know, the basic stuff. Here I was uh, dressing up like a goober, uh, trying to get the kids excited. And uh, so there's a, a picture there of our, our kids club. And uh, it was really encouraging, got to connect with uh, several kids and just share the gospel with them. Uh, in fact, some of the kids were actually from Tasmania. They were in town for a holiday, and so I'm uh, just thankful that we had the opportunity to give them the seed of the gospel, um, even though they weren't necessarily part of that community. So thankful for that opportunity. Uh, we had a little Christmas fellowship. My first Christmas in Australia was on Broken Hill. I'll probably never forget that. And so I uh, appreciate the, the little church gathering that we had there. Uh, it was a wonderful day on Christmas Day. And uh, how do you celebrate Christmas in Broken Hill? Well, I guess you get a bunch of old tires and paint them up. And uh, so we went out, uh, that I think was Christmas night, and uh, just enjoyed looking at the stars a little bit out there and uh, enjoying God's creation. Uh, then I dropped by Sydney, visited friends in Sydney there, got to preach a couple times at a church there, uh, got to do a little hiking, my first experience into the Blue Mountains, and so I enjoyed that, got to see some more of God's beautiful creation. And then, um, last but not least, in Sydney, got to help my little friend there. She had never made muffins before, 
And so I got to teach her how to make muffins, so that was kind of fun, doing that with Jandra. And then just this last week, again, appreciate your prayers so much, I uh, got the opportunity, had a blast at uh, Yak and Danda at Youth Camp, Summer Camp 2024. There's a group of our cabin, and uh, just, uh, yeah, grew to, to love those guys over the course of the week. And uh, there you see, obviously, Winter in the middle there, and then Joe went with us. So I'm so glad that Joe went with us. Uh, by the way, Joe, you came this morning, so I've got your burger rings for you. Um, that's a little camp joke, by the way. Uh, but thankful for what the Lord did there at camp. And so thank you again for your prayers for me as I traveled. Um, at camp, uh, just really thankful. Great people. Had a great group out this, this time. Uh, the people that uh, worked with us uh, was really uh, just encouraging to see their love, their compassion, their kindness. Uh, the messages, the preaching was relevant and biblical for young people. And so that was probably the, the best part of the camp. Uh, but they also had a great program. It was a lot of fun. They had good games uh, and, and just good, clean fun. Uh, good to hang out with other uh, young people and just have, have a good time. Uh, even though we did have a little bit of excitement halfway through the camp, um, some of you, well, might have met Rose, Clint's sister. Her husband, actually, the, he was doing the games for the camp, and he went to roll up a tarp that they had used for one of the games, and he got bit by a black snake. And so we had to have an uh, ambulance come out, and he went out to the hospital. Thankfully, I think he's going to be okay. I don't think there was a lot of venom in, in the bite, but... Um, yeah, so it was a pretty, pretty exciting camp all around, but I'm thankful that he's, he's going to be okay. Well, let's get into the message this morning. If you have your Bibles, go over to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And recently we came out of the Christmas season, and uh, maybe, perchance, you were told, or you even told, a Christmas joke or two. But uh, I've got a joke for you, William. I know William likes jokes, so listen up. Let's see if you can get any of these. Uh, what do you get if you cross a snowman and a shark? You any guess, William? Frostbite. In his, little, in his Christmas gift that he gave to me, he, he, uh, he gave me a little paper with a, a joke on it. What was it? The, why did the boy want to go to... Um, Oh, no, I'm going to mess it up now. It was about going to high school anyway. Uh, so I know William likes jokes. Uh, how about this one? Why does Santa always go down the chimney? What? He doesn't have a key. Well, that's true. He doesn't have a key, but it's because it sits him. <laughs> sits him, sits him. All right, here's a good one. What's the difference between the Christmas alphabet and the regular alphabet? The Christmas alphabet has Noel. Noel. Okay, last one. Why do snowmen, what do snowmen wear on their heads? Hats? Ice caps. All right, Christmas is a fun time. We know that. We know the, uh, the familiar traditions, sights and sounds of Christmas, the, even the smells, sometimes the jokes. Um, it's all part of the holiday, but uh, already we've left behind the Christmas season. Tim mentioned we're already, what, almost to the halfway point of summer. Um, but let's not, as we move into the new year, let's not forget the spirit of Christmas. 
uh, what Christmas is all about, it, it should stay with us throughout the year. And here in Matthew chapter 2, we, we are reminded of the, the Christmas story. And look at verse 11 specifically. It says in verse 11, And when they, the wise men, were coming to the house, they saw the young child, that's Jesus, with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. You know, really at the heart of Christmas, the, the spirit of Christmas, the, the main reason of Christmas is to worship the Savior, to worship Jesus Christ. It's, it's really about Him. And here we see that the wise men worship Jesus. Uh, worship means to give worth to. In other words, to value something. Uh, Jesus gave Himself for us. And so uh, He valued us. He showed that value to us. Uh, by His death on the cross for our sin. And as Savior of the world, He deserves in return our value, our honor, our worship. And so here's the point today. Wise men worship Jesus. Everybody say that with me, if you would. Wise men worship Jesus. All right, tell the person next to you. Wise men worship Jesus. The other person on your other side. Wise men worship Jesus. All right, you're not going to forget that now because you've said it three times. Uh, wise men worship Jesus. Now the question we have to ask yourself, the follow-up question is, do I value Jesus? And if I do, how much do I value Jesus? That's what we want to ponder today. So maybe write that question down, make a mental note. Uh, this is what we want to consider today. Do I value Jesus? And if so, how much do I value Jesus? Uh, in Matthew chapter 2, we see that the wise men worship Jesus, and we want to look at this passage and make some observations. So first, let's look, look at verse 1. Uh, verse 1 here, the beginning of the Christmas story. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to, Je to Jerusalem. Wise men. So that's what we want to ponder today. Are we going to be like the wise men? Are we going to value Jesus? Before we get into the rest of the passage, let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know that the Bible is a special book. It's been given by you to us. And Lord, I pray that you would take and use it now in our heart, in our mind. Help us to, to take away the message in this passage that you have for us. And may it affect our lives and change us for the good, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we see the wise men, they came from the east to Jerusalem. Now, let me see, can I get three men, if I can get three men, I need three wise men to come up this morning. Uh, Brother Joshua, would you mind, would you mind coming up? You look, you look rather wise, does he not? And how about uh, Brother Ty, would you come up? And then uh, Branko, would you mind, Brother Branko, would you mind coming up? So, as, as our wise men, if you would come just maybe down to the front here, our three wise men. Can you tell me how many wise men were there? Anybody want to get out a guess? It doesn't. It doesn't? Uh, nearly a dozen? Okay. So, tradition tells us that it was three. However, when you look at the passage, it just says wise men. So, there's no number in there. So, uh, we don't know exactly how many. So, whenever you read the Bible, it's good not to insert tradition or your th own thoughts. Uh, sometimes because there's three gifts given, we think, oh, there's three wise men. Uh, but we don't know. But, so we have three men here. Uh, what would we know? What do we know about the wise men? Um, to be honest, 
We don't really know much about the wise men. We know that they were, um, they were counselors. They were used as counselors, advisors to kings. Uh, they were no doubt very educated. Um, they, they seem to have studied the stars to some degree. Um, you might have heard the term magi. They're referred to as magi, but uh, we wouldn't really want to label them as magicians in, in the modern day sense of the word. They, they were studied men. They were men who advised kings. They, they had respect, maybe some type of authority. Uh, but other than that, we really don't know a lot other than the fact that they came from the east. All right, thank you, men. You may be seated. Uh, give a hand to our wise men this morning. So we have these wise men. They came from the east to Jerusalem. And then verse 2 says, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, they came from the east. Uh, this would have been probably, possibly Persia. So how would they, in Persia, have come to hear about a king of the Jews being born near Jerusalem? Through Daniel. Through Daniel? That's a good, good comment. Um, that, that is very possible. Daniel was taken to the Babylonian captivity, and Babylon, Babylon was overthrown by Persia. So it's very possible that Daniel's influence was known throughout Persia. Uh, he was himself included in the group of wise men uh, dealing with King Nebuchadnezzar. So, yes, that, that is a, a possibility. Um, there's also the, the passage in Numbers, Numbers 24, verse 17. It says, There shall come a... a Come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Out of Jacob shall, he, um, shall come he that shall have dominion. And so there's this prophecy in the book of Numbers given about a, a coming king, and it's referred to as a star. So that might be a reason that these wise men were clued in on, on the stars and why they uh, attribute that to being tied into the Messiah's coming. But yes, Daniel's prophecies probably possibly could have been part of how they knew about the coming of Jesus. So then we have another question, though. What was the star? There's been a lot of speculation about this. Um, again, we don't know exactly what it was. Some people have speculated it was a supernatural occurrence that God uh, put in the sky. Some have said maybe a supernova or a comet. Um, however, I, I would from, from ancient records, we don't really see... A, a big flare-up or a big supernova or something of that extreme nature in, in the ancient records. So it's not to say that it didn't happen. Um, but one proposition that I think is probably very likely is a planetary conjunction. Uh, back in 7 BC, so this would have been uh, about the right timing, Jupiter, the planet Jupiter and Saturn had a close conjunction. So essentially what this would have done is would have made those two planets together much brighter than they would standing alone. And so that would have been something unusual. Somebody that, an astronomer, uh, studying the stars, they would have seen that. It would have stood out to them. Uh, it's interesting, Jupiter being the greatest planet, has a, it's the king planet, so to speak. Uh, so foretelling the coming of a king. And then in 3 BC, Jupiter and Venus were in close conjunctions for almost a, about a year, going back and forth throughout that year, starting in August 12th of 3 BC. Uh, so was it possible that God used the planets and their conjunctions to 
gives some insight to the wise men. It seems likely, but again, we don't absolutely know. We're, we can't be dogmatic about it. The bottom line is this. Don't get caught up in all the speculation, but look at what the Bible says. It says that they saw a star, and they came from the east to seek Jesus. So that's what we know. That's what we trust, uh, as it is God's word. So moving on then to verse 3, it says, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Um, now, if you know anything about King Herod, do not be surprised that he was troubled. Why do you think he was troubled? Well, he was the king, yes. In uh, 40 B.C., Josephus records that um, before the entire Roman Senate, the Caesars had declared Herod the Great king of the Jews. All right, so that was, that was his title. And now he's hearing some foreigners coming in, talking about another king of the Jews. He didn't like that. Now, if you knew anything about this guy, Herod the Great, he was absolutely ruthless. He killed his wife's grandfather and brother because they were a threat to his, his throne. And then when he got suspicious about his wife, he killed the queen, his wife. So this guy, he, he, he was off his rocker. He was a loose cannon. So uh, it says that Herod heard these things. He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why do you think Jerusalem was troubled? They knew this guy was a loose cannon, and if they weren't careful, they could be next on the chopping block. Uh, so I think that's probably why Jerusalem was troubled. So what does he do? Well, in verse 4 it says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes from the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So he says, Hey, there's got to be some old prophecies in, in the Jewish scriptures about this king of the Jews. And he says, where, where is it that he's going to be born? Now, note, he is not interested at all what the scriptures have to say, other than to help his political expedience. Just to, to help him get some information. He's not interested in what God says. He's not interested in a coming Savior uh, to take away his sin. He's just interested in saving his throne. Verse 5 says, And when they said unto him, uh, and they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. This is a very clear reference. Don't miss this. This is a very clear reference to the coming Messiah. I, one of the reasons, again, we as, as Christians have confidence that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that the Bible is true is because of all the prophecies. God, years and years before, had told the prophet, Jesus, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. And guess what happened? That's exactly what happened. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Um, now, it's interesting because these priests, these scribes, they come and they advise Herod about the, the Jewish prophecies. But you, you would think maybe... Herod would rethink about the Messiah, maybe? Like if, if this is going to take place, if this is the truth. But he's just out to preserve his own skin. And, and notice what he says uh, in verse 7. It says, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what star, time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And now this is just a bold-faced lie. He has no intention in worshiping Jesus. He wants to know what time the star appeared. And if you go down to verse 16, 
after um, the wise men leave, they don't go back to him. Uh, he knows that, oh, I've got to do something. I don't know which kid it is in Bethlehem. So he just has all the kids two years and under killed in Bethlehem because he wants to eradicate any opposition, any uh, possibility of, of a king being um, born and living in Bethlehem. And so he has no desire to worship. He is, he's totally deceitful in this, in this statement. Uh, you know, one time I was, recently I was talking to uh, someone, and uh, I, I said, hey, you should come to church on Sunday. And uh, I said, hey, if you come to church on Sunday, I'll, ha- I'll have a gift for you. And he was like, oh, I'll be there. But then he said, oh, wait, wait, wait. Actually, I'll come anyway because I- I'm not going to come for the gift. I'm going to come because I-, I should come to church. And you know, that just is like, that's awesome. Because he understands the point of coming to church. It's not about you know, us getting something so much, it's about us coming to worship God. That should be the primary focus, that we come to serve and worship God. Yes, we do get out of it much encouragement, much blessing, uh, but our primary reason for coming to church ought to be to worship. Here, Herod, his motivation was totally, well, he had no motivation. He was totally deceitful. Uh, But then notice in verse 9, it also says, uh, and when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it stood over where the young child was. Now, when it says they departed, it's referring to the wise men. The priests and the scribes who studied the scriptures backward and forward, who were looking for the Messiah, longing for the Messiah, longing for Jesus, they didn't even go with them. Do you find that interesting how men from Persia, potentially, and now if I could pull up this map, hopefully the the screen didn't go blank. But if I pull up this map, you'll see that Persia is approximately 1,200 kilometers from Jerusalem. It's not an easy... It's not an easy... um, trip to make. So here we have Susa, the capital of Persia. This is where they likely came from. I guess it's possible that they came from down this way, but probably over this direction. So coming through this way around the river um, and then north of Jerusalem coming down through that way. 1,200 kilometers. That was not an easy trip. But God brought men from over here when there were Tons of people studying the scriptures, looking at the scriptures, and they totally missed it. Why is that? How is it that, that wise men from the east came, but, but the very people that were God's people, that were looking for the Messiah, didn't even, didn't even see it? And here, you would think they would be the first ones to say, yes, the Messiah has come, let's go. Let's, the, we want to be first in line. And you know, if we're not careful, and maybe there's someone in here today, you have a religion, like you, you read the Bible, you, you go to church, you do religious things, but if you don't have a true relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you're missing the truth of Scripture in your life. 
You're not getting it. The Bible says we must be born again or else we cannot see the kingdom of God. We can't be part of God's family unless we have a spiritual and inward birth. And when you have that inward birth, it allows you to see God's word and see the truth of it. And here these these religious men, they were going through religious motions, but they didn't have a true relationship with God. And so they didn't see it. They didn't actually see what God wanted them to see. That's the way I see it anyway, that they were just going through the motions. Uh, Because if they had had a true relationship with God, if you go over to Luke chapter 2, go over to Luke chapter 2, and look at verse 25. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. We see the man named Simeon. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same was a just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. So this man, do you see how he was led by the Holy Spirit? He was led by God. He had a relationship with God, and he saw Jesus. I would have thought that these priests, these religious leaders, if they had a true relig- relationship with Jesus Christ, with God, that they too would have been able to, to realize and understand that Jesus was coming. But it seems that they did not. Then go to verse 10. It says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Wise men worship Jesus. In this passage, you might have noticed four ways the wise men worship Jesus. Four ways they show that they value Jesus. First off, go back to verse 1. And it says that there came wise men from the east. So the first way that they showed their worship of Jesus was in their travel. They traveled 1,200 kilometers, roughly. So think about that. The dedication, the effort, the, the time, the cost that went into that. They went the extra mile. Have you ever heard that, that saying, going the extra mile? Go the second mile, right? Uh, you know where that comes from, right? Jesus preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if someone tells you to go t- with them a mile, go twain. Go the extra mile. Now, back in Jesus' day, the Roman soldiers, they would carry around these packs, probably 25, 35 kilos, you know, they have all their, their military gear and whatnot. And uh, so they, they would be traveling, and they could, take, they could get anybody um, to go with them. And, hey, carry this pack for a mile. Okay, obviously they would get tired carrying around, so they'd say, hey, you, come, carry this for a mile. So if I get uh, Orlando, could you come up here? I want you to, I have my, my messenger bag here. I don't even think this is anywhere close to 35 kilos, but would you just feel that? Oh, yes. Hold that. It's pretty heavy. 
How would you like to carry that for 1.6 kilometers? I, I wouldn't want to do that. In the hospital? No, no. You would probably start uh, aching shoulders, you know, if you have the strap on. You're, you're, you're going to get tired pretty quick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. So imagine you're carrying this thing, and this is, this is probably, I don't even know if this is, this is probably getting up to 20, 25 kilos, but 35 kilos, you're carrying that thing for a soldier who's occupying your home country, all right? So let's say that here in Australia, we have a, a group of Kiwi soldiers come over, all right? And now they're in control. They're the boss telling us, okay, hey, you, carry this for me a mile. All right, so this is an enemy, someone you don't like, telling you to carry a mile. Hey, you might have been in the middle of something. You might have been out in your field plowing, and all of a sudden you got to drop everything and take 15 minutes to go walk this guy's equipment for a mile. And Jesus says, go with him twain. What? That's nuts, right? That's what we would say. But we see here the example of the wise men. They went, literally, many extra miles to come worship Jesus. So, first off, the wise men, they worship Jesus. It's seen in their travel. Second of all, it's seen in their title. In verse 2 it says, Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? See their title? They gave Jesus a title of respect, king of the Jews. They realized who he was, and they honored him accordingly. They displayed an attitude of worship, a value for Jesus in the title they gave him. When I was driving out to Adelaide, um, when, I, when I went out to Broken Hill, I was supposed to take the train, but that didn't happen because the, the train, apparently the engine got uh, separated from the cars and there was an accident on the rails. And so we ended up having to take the bus. And so when we got on the bus, you know, you get settled in. The bus driver's giving you the instructions about this, that, and the other, the toilet in the back. And don't put anything, don't put paper, don't try to flush anything down the toilet, all right? It's only for number one, all right? So somewhere along the, the road, somebody... For whatever reason, they stuck something in the toilet and got it clogged up. Okay, so now nobody can use the toilet. And as he's going down the aisle toward the back, uh, he swears, he uses Jesus' name as a swear word. And you know, for a person that doesn't believe in Jesus, that's no big deal. But for those of us who know who Jesus is, it, it kind of hurts a little, right? Because you're taking someone who has given everything for the world that they might be saved and has done so much to change us, to help us in our life, and you're using it as a, just a filler word. Uh, you know, let that not be said about us. Wise men respect Christ and how they speak. Wise men worship Jesus with their talk through titles of respect. Uh, third, go down to verse 10. Wise men worshipped Jesus with their time. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Notice their worship. It was exceedingly joyful. It was real worship. It wasn't fake. And they were truly happy to see Jesus. When you come to church... Do you, do you have a, a joy, not, a, not a, a phony smile on your face? Do you have a true joy in your heart? Are you truly happy to be at church? They, they were reverent. They fell down. They showed their respect for the king of the Jews. 
This was a special baby sent from God. But then notice that they, they simply gave their time to be in Jesus' presence. You know, time is very valuable, right? And it seems like in this world that there's so many things trying to steal away our time and our attention. I mean, just drive down the road and how many billboards and advertisements. Uh, Tim and I were talking about, what is it called, marketing clutter or something? I, I forget the term. Uh, you go on your phone, you go on TV, there's just advertisements galore. Everything is trying to grab away our time and our attention. You know, it, it's actually, it would actually be very beneficial for us, even on a non-spiritual level, just to, to take some time and put that all away and just focus on the Lord. But spiritually, we need that time with the Lord to calm our hearts and to allow the Lord to fill us with, with love and joy and peace, to, to get away from the, the hecticness of, of life. And that's what the wise men, they, they gave time to Jesus. You know, you don't have to come to church to worship Christ. Now, you need to come to church. You need the fellowship. You need the encouragement that you can't get by yourself. But really, though, we should worship Jesus every day. There's a little book called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Very good point in the book. It's just a short little thing. But he just talks about experiencing or, or keeping in your mind that God is with you wherever you go. And letting God's peace just reside in your heart. Letting His love, His holiness, that that purity, just keeping those things on the front of your mind all day long. Wise men worship Jesus. They worship Jesus with their time, with their titles of respect, with their travel. And then finally, wise men worship Jesus with their treasure. Notice in verse 11, the second part of the verse says, And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And First off, I want to say, if, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer here this morning, uh, don't feel any obligation to give to our church. Uh, we're not here uh, after your donations. Uh, giving is for believers. It's a way that we show our gratitude back to God for what He's given to us. And so, um, we're not out for your money. Uh, but we as Christians, we show that we value, that we worship Jesus by giving part of what He's given to us back to the church so that it can be used for God's work. Um, if you think about it, everything's come from God anyway, so it's all His, really. But notice the treasure, gold. If one troy ounce of gold is $3,071.70. That's Australian dollars. I don't know how many ounces of gold they gave him, but even if they just gave him one ounce of gold, that's a pretty, pretty good chunk of change right there. Frankincense. Uh, here's what one, um, one dictionary said. Due to its pleasant odor, as well as other qualities, frankincense belonged in antiquity, together with myrrh, in almost all countries of the Near East, uh, among the most demanded and most expensive of spices. So gold, we know that's expensive. Frankincense, expensive as well. Myrrh, uh, as mentioned in the quote, it's also very highly sought. It was associated um, with, with uh, wealth as well. So the bottom line is, they gave their best to Jesus. They didn't give Jesus their pocket change. 
They didn't give Jesus their leftover time. They took a whole trip. They set aside a whole trip uh, with the expense, the time involved to go worship Jesus. They gave Jesus the best. So, in this verse, Matthew 2.11, uh, and this is, this is kind of the verse that I've chosen to be my theme for the year. And the theme is worshiping Christ with my life, 2024. Worshiping Jesus. Worshiping Jesus. This is something that we should all focus on this year. And so I want to ask you a question. Uh, I asked you the question earlier. Do you value Jesus? If so, how much? Compare your worship of Jesus to the wise men's worship of Jesus. Would you be a wise man? Would you go to that level of, of trouble, that expense, for, for Jesus Christ? And then let's think about this. For 2024, let's be really practical. Will you make 2024 a year of worship? And putting Jesus first in, in all things. Making that an intentional, thought-provoking habit all year long, all 12 months. And just think to yourself, when I make big decisions... I'm going to ask myself, is this decision, does it show that I value Jesus? With this decision, is Jesus at the center of this decision? Uh, have any of you ever read the book, In His Steps? In His Steps? Maybe a few of you. Uh, I just watched uh, the movie last night, In His Steps, and uh, they asked the question. They, they made a pact. They're going to ask the question for a whole year. Before I make any major decisions, I'm going to ask, what would Jesus do? Maybe that could be something that, that you could challenge yourself with. But I want to challenge you this year. How can you make 2024 a year of worship? Uh, I want to give you five things. First of all, how to make 2024 a year of worship. First of all, have a personal relationship with God. Have a personal relationship with God. Know this. Know God loves you even though you've sinned against Him. You've done wrong. You've gone against His laws. Your sin condemns you to judgment and hell, but Jesus died to pay for your sins and rose again so that you can be forgiven and live forever. All right, so get this, get this. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, you need to ask Him to be your Savior, to forgive you of your sins. Start that relationship with God. Without that, nothing else is going to fall into place. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you want to start that relationship with God, you can do it right now. Just simply call it to Him and ask Him to be your Savior. Tell Him that you want to start that relationship today. Second of all, first off, have a personal relationship with God. Second of all, have a personal, personal worship every day. Personal worship every day. And that involves Bible study, and notice I didn't say Bible reading, Bible study. Um, you need to, to think about what you read, not just read. Prayer, Bible memorization, and praise. Bible study, prayer, Bible memorization, and praise. If you study your Bible, that's great. That's very helpful. But you, have to, you need to balance that with prayer. You need to, to, to listen to God from His Word, but then you also need to talk to God. And then third, you need to really memorize Scripture. 
Uh, this last week at camp, uh, Joseph and, and Werner can tell you, uh, what was one of the things that they, the sheets of paper they gave us at camp? It was a bunch of memory verses, right? And so here we were during the week working on these memory verses, and I was encouraging Winter to memorize verses. By the way, his team, they won the points competition, and I think it was the memory verses probably that got them the most points. And so, but going through and just memorizing those verses, it was so refreshing. It was just, it, it strengthens you. Memorizing those scriptures, being able to say those scriptures, it, it really helps you spiritually, and then praising the Lord. Uh, so have those four elements in, in your personal worship. And then third, attend church every week, unless, unless absolutely impossible. Uh, growing up, for me, my parents, they took us to church Sunday morning. We were there for Sunday school, uh, for morning service. We were there Sunday evening again in the evening, and we were there Wednesday nights. If we had special services, we were there on special services. Now, I understand we lived very close to church, so it was, it was easier for us. But still, I, we, I'm coming from a family of five. So for my mom, especially during week, in, week of special services, to get us all ready, uh, get us out the door, and it, you know, it wasn't the easiest thing. Um, but that dedication, look, I, I never missed church unless I was sick, and that was a rare occasion. That was a very rare occasion. I'm not saying that you have to be at every service, but I, I want to challenge you to get along with God and think about 2024, making it a year of worship and saying, God, what would you expect of me in my current situation to be at church? Uh, and I want to really encourage you with this one. If you don't come to the Wednesday night prayer meeting, if at all possible, if you can, I really strongly encourage you to come to the Wednesday prayer meeting because there's nothing like praying together with your fellow believers at church. And if we want to see God work in our community and we want to help people in this community, it's got to start in prayer. And so corporate prayer, praying together as a church, is very important. Uh, so if we want to make 2024 a year of, of worship, consider that. Consider your church attendance. Uh, fourth, serve in the local church in at least one way or another. The goal is 100% participation. You don't have to be involved in everything, but I just encourage you to pray about getting involved in one way, one way that you can serve. Now, the cool thing is when you start to serve others, I, I find this true in my life. When I start to serve others, I find out that I am more blessed. What did Jesus say? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Same thing is true with service. I find that the blessing really, uh, camp this last, this last week, a lot of people say, good on you, Josh, going to camp. Uh, you're, you're getting out there serving others. Hey, I had a blast at camp. I, I don't want to, I don't, you know, I had a hard time leaving camp. You know, I, I enjoyed it. It was such a blessing to me. Um, when you get out and serve, you find out that it's, it's really a blessing to serve. And then number five, be serious about loving God and obeying Scripture. Show God you value Him by obeying the Bible. Now, one preacher said it this way. When God says don't, ultimately what he's saying is save yourself the hardship. Save yourself the pain. God knows what's good and bad, and, and he knows if you go this way, you go the wrong way, it, there's pain at the end of that. So he says, hey, let me help you out. Let me keep you from the pain. And when he says do, he's saying, hey, help yourself to some pleasure. Help yourself to some happiness. 
If you do things God's way, you're, gonna, you're headed to the, the happiest way, the, the best life. So you, help yourself out. Obey God's word. Take God's word seriously. When he says something, listen to it. Do it. So if you want to make uh, 2024 a year of worship, those five things. I hope maybe you wrote those down. Uh, but at this time, if I could get my helpers to, to pass out, I have a handout for you. And uh, I hope that you can maybe use this this week. It's, it's meant at least for you to use this week. I think they say it takes 21 days to make a habit, uh, so maybe three weeks. But I want you to look at this, and I want to go through just this little sheet with you in the next few minutes. And it's meant to help you think about your worship in 2024. So as they pass those out, we want to take a minute to think about the wise men, their travel. What did the travel cost the wise men? And here I would, to get some feedback from you, what, what do you think it cost the wise men to travel 1,200 kilometers to go see Jesus? Two to three months? Two to three months? It took a lot of time. All right, so time. First off, time. What else did it, it take? Resources, absolutely, was not an inexpensive trip. So, so money, it took a lot of resources. And who else wants to, to venture a, an idea? They left the comforts of home. Yes, so it was not the most convenient. It wasn't the most convenient thing for them. What else? Would you say that it, it uh, potentially... Um, hazarded their safety. You know, there's robbers along the way. Accidents, heats could have, you know, health could have been an issue along the way. So back traveling in those days, it was not the, the safest of ventures. How about all the planning, the energy it took to plan this um, trip? to organize it, to, to think it through, to execute it. So there was probably time, not just if it was two to three months, but then time to plan it, to prepare it. So this was a huge ordeal. So I've given you those sheets there. And uh, the first thing, it's the, it's, I, I've, I've called it the TEM tracker. Okay, TEM stands for time, energy, and money. So if you think about it, if you evaluate where you put your time, okay, Time is your most valuable resource, right? It's basically your life. What, what's more valuable than your life? Energy. Okay, energy is the ability to do something with your life. All right, so that's probably your second most valuable resource, the ability to, to function. And then money. All right, money is how we, we trade commodities. We, you know, it's, it's, it's valuable, right? So those three things, if we look at how we use those three things, we can get a pretty good idea of what we value in life. In other words, we can get an idea of what we worship by how we spend our time, how we use our energy, and how we, we use our money. So the first sheet there uh, is the time tracker. So this is, this is the suggestion here. Take that time tracker for the week and just track your time. I've, I've broken up into our slots. And just... Think through, maybe at the end of a day, before you go to bed, take 5, 10, 15 minutes, 
and just go back and jot through, how did I use this time, this time, this time? And as you do that, note to yourself things that, okay, this, what I did here at 6 a.m., that was high on the worship scale. That really, God, ple- God was pleased with that. I know God liked what I did there. But maybe at 11 o'clock, you, you saw a message come on your phone, and then, oh, what does Facebook say? Oh, what about Instagram? And then all of a sudden, 11.30, 11.45, oh, whoa, what happened to 45 minutes? Um, now, I'm not saying that that's all wrong, but is God pleased with that 45-minute investment into Facebook, Instagram, all that? Now, that's something that you have to work through in your mind with the Lord. And so just go through, the, and think about this. What time do I have in my Throughout the day, and you evaluate on an hourly basis. Now, I know that takes a little bit of, of commitment, a little bit of work, but if you take that for a, a, an hour-by-hour look, and you start to think about, ooh, how I just spent the last 15 minutes, it was just kind of a, a waste. You can start identifying your time wasters. Um, social media, the internet, technology devices are very, very much geared towards stealing our time. All right, so you watch one video that you're interested in on YouTube. What pops up immediately? Another one. Oh, and it's, it's, uh, the algorithms have put stuff there that you're kind of interested in. So, oh, I, I got another five minutes. I'll watch another one. And especially if you have autoplay, it just starts going and going. And it, you can drain a whole hour just watching all these videos needlessly. So think about this. Was God pleased with that our use of your life? Was it contributing to, to worshiping God, showing value for God, for, for doing positive things in the world, for promoting good in the world, uh, for promoting God's word? Or was it really just something that, let's be honest, we don't really even sometimes care that much about those videos that we watch, but they just kind of suck away our time. So if you intentionally go through and think about it, think about your work. Uh, when I work, do I work hard to glorify God? Am I giving time? Am I giving my time, my effort to God? Um, am I putting that time out there to, to show others that I work hard for, for God, to glorify God, or am I just putting in time to, to get a paycheck? Thinking about your leisure, your leisure time. Leisure time's not wrong. You need that. God, God built us to enjoy leisure. We need time to refresh ourselves. But if we worship leisure, we can, we can have too much leisure. And then we end up wasting time. We're not being productive for the Lord. We're not helping people in the world. So think about your leisure time. Am I having too much? One of my big regrets from my younger years is uh, I, I grew up in the southeast of the U.S. And the, that is like college football um, heaven. I mean, people down there love college football. It's like AFL here in, in Melbourne. And I spent hours and hours and hours watching football. I, I, honestly, I could have a doctorate in football but the amount of time I have put into watching football. If I, could, if I could have one thing back from my childhood, it would be all that time spent watching sports. It, it was, it's a waste, okay? 
So evaluate your time. Uh, and then second, if you turn the page over, um, I have what I've labeled the energy evaluator. Just some questions there to consider throughout the week. Again, if you just take t 5, 10, 15 minutes each night and just consider these questions, think about what makes you passionate. Are you more excited about sport than you are church or, or um, hanging out with friends than you are getting into God's Word? Now, hey, look, we have friends. We should love hanging out with our friends. But if you're not excited about God's Word, then what does that tell you about where your heart is? What does that tell you about your worship? Are you willing to be inconvenienced to serve God? Sometimes it takes a little bit of extra energy to serve God. It takes a little extra energy to get up and come to Sunday school. It takes a little extra energy to go out and purposefully find a way in which you can serve others in the community. So evaluate your energy. And then the last one would be the, the budget review. Have you ever heard the term, the phrase, put your money where your mouth is? Ever heard that one, right? Well, as Christians, we say we love God. We say that He's most important to us. But I've got to ask you, how you spend your money, is that really indicative of a, of a heart that is sold out for God? So you have to ask yourself, does my spending history show that I truly do value God? And I want to encourage you with this one. Again, I'm not talking, if you're not a believer, we don't want your money. We're not af after your money. But there is blessing associated with giving. And I'm not promoting prosperity gospel. Um, it's not like we, we give to God and He's going to make us rich millionaires. Okay, that's, that's not scriptural. But notice Proverbs 19.17. It says, He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord. And that which he hath given will he pay again. You know what that's, that verse is saying? If you give to those in need, it's as though you are lending to God and he's going to pay you interest back. Here's a, a, a story I love about Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary doctor to China. This is before he got to China. Uh, before he went to China, he was working with a doctor. He was developing his medical skill. And he felt it very important that he learned to walk by faith before going to China, before getting to the mission field. So he said... His doctor, his doctor boss told him, hey, sometimes I'm forgetful and uh, I, I might forget to give you your salary when it's due. So if I forget, just remind me. No, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to purposely not do that. I'm going to simply pray and ask God to remind him. And when I see God answer the prayer, I'll be encouraged and I'll learn to walk by faith. Um, maybe a little reckless, but... That's what he decided to do so he could grow his faith. Well, that actually happened. His employer forgot to pay him. And now here he is um, looking at his finances. And he realized one Saturday night, all he had left was a, a half crown, one coin. This is back in the 1800s in England. So he had one half crown. He had some, some food in the cupboard for maybe a meal or two and a half crown. That was it. So he went to church Sunday morning, had a wonderful time at church, and then he would go out and he would go minister in the poor neighborhoods. And uh, he would help people. He would do services and different things. And 
late at night, this is maybe around 10 o'clock at night, this man comes to him, this Irishman comes to him, and asks him to come pray with his wife. And so he says, oh, yeah, for sure, I'll come. And so as they go, uh, the man begins to tell him that they're in just a terrible state. And as he goes, let me try to find the quote here. As he's going with this Irishman, um, Hudson Taylor asked him why he hadn't, hadn't gone to see the priest. Uh, because he's Irish, so he's probably Catholic. And uh, the, the man told him, well, the priest refused to come without a payment of 18 pence, and I don't have it. And at once, uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to Hudson Taylor about that coin. And he realized, he thought to himself, that's the only coin I have. That's all the money I have. I can't give it to these people because I'm not going to have anything to eat the next couple of days if, if I give this away. And at once there was a stoppage in the flow of joy in his heart. But instead of reproving himself for his selfishness, he began to reprove the poor man, telling him that it was very wrong to have allowed matters to get into such a state, and that he ought to have applied to the relieving officer. And the man said that he had, but he was told to come back at 11 o'clock the next morning. But he feared that his wife might not live through the night. Hudson Taylor thought, ah, if only I had two shillings and a sixpence. Instead of the half crown, I would gladly give these poor people a shilling. So he's just wishing that he had it broken up into more coins. He, He wanted to keep part of it, though. Little did I dream, he said, that the truth of the matter was simply this. I could not trust God without that one and sixpence. My conductor, the man, led him into a court down a, um, which he went rather nervously because he had been there before and he had been roughly handled. So it was a rough part of town. They went up a, a miserable flight of stairs into a wretched room. And there the sight presented itself. Four or five children stood about with sunken cheeks and temples, telling unmistakably the story of slow starvation. And lying on a wretched pallet was a poor, exhausted mother with a tiny infant, 36 hours old, moaning rather than crying at her side. Ah, I thought, if I had two shillings and a sixpence instead of a half crown, how gladly they should have one and sixpence of it. But still, a wretched unbelief prevented me from obeying the impulse to relieve their distress at the cost of all I possessed. It will scarcely seem strange that I was unable to say much to comfort these poor people. I needed comfort myself. I began to tell them, however, that they must not be cast down, that though their circumstances were very distressing, there was a kind and loving Father in heaven. But something within me cried, You hypocrite! Telling these unconverted people about a kind and loving Father in heaven and not prepared yourself to trust Him without half a crown. I nearly choked. How gladly would I have compromised with conscience if I had a florin and a sixpence. They would have, I would have given the florin, thankfully, and kept the rest. But I was not yet prepared to trust God alone without the sixpence, which is not much at all. To talk was impossible under these conditions, yet, strange to say, I thought I should have no difficulty in praying. No sooner had he knelt down and opened his lips with our Father who art in heaven, and conscience said within, Dare you mock God? Dare you kneel down and call him Father with that half crown in your pocket? Such a time of conflict then came upon me as I never experienced before. 
How I got through that form of prayer, I know not. And whether my words were um, uttered, were connected or disconnected, I don't know, but I rose from my knees in great distress of mind. The poor father turned to me and said, You see what a terrible state we are in, sir. If you can help us, for God's sake, do. At that moment, the word of Scripture flashed into my mind. Give to him that asketh of thee. And in the word of a king there is power. I put my hand into my pocket and slowly drawing out the half crown gave it to the man. Telling him that it might seem a small matter for me to give this to them, seeing that I was comparatively well off. But in parting with that coin, I was giving him my all. But that what I had been trying to tell them was indeed true. God really was a father and might be trusted. And how the joy came full flood tide back into my heart. I could say anything and feel it. My emotions had come back. The, the hindrance to blessing was gone. And so he goes back that night, his heart as light as his pocket. He has no money. He took his little bit of meal for dinner. He woke up the next morning, surprised to hear a knock at the door. I w- he was not in the habit of receiving letters on Monday, as his parents and most of his friends didn't post on s- Saturdays. So he was somewhat surprised when his, lady, his landlady came in holding a letter or a packet in her wet hand. I looked at the letter. I could not make out the handwriting. It was either a, a strange or a feigned one, and the postmark was blurred. Where it came from, I could not tell. On opening the envelope, I found nothing written within, but inside a sheet of blank paper was folded, a pair of kid gloves from which... As I opened them in astonishment, half a sovereign fell to the ground. Praise the Lord, I exclaimed, 400% for a 12 hours investment. You see what God did there? He gave away a coin, all he had, and God gave him back 400% return on his investment. He lended to the poor and God gave him back more than what he gave. It, when we worship God with our time, with our energy, with our money, do you think God's going to leave us with less or more of it? You know, I think the, the truth of the matter is when God sees Branko Repsi, he gives me a lot of his time. I'm going to help him out. I'm going to send him some people to help redeem some time for him so he can give back more time. God sees uh, when Clint Waters, when he puts his energy into Kids Club, when he gives of his time to serve, he needs a little help. I'm going to send him some extra energy. When we dig into our pockets and we say, we see a need, just as Hudson Taylor, that God wants us to meet, you think God's going to say, ah, drain their bank account. No, he says, that, that man, Stephen Lim, he's a generous man. I think I'll, I'll add a little more on top of him so he can give a little more. 
Will we make 2024 a year of worship? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this example of the wise men who, Lord, were wise men who worshipped you. Father, may we sincerely pray and meditate on making 2024 a year of worship, to make it all about you. And Lord, as we make the year about you, no doubt we are bound to see some pretty amazing stories, some pretty amazing blessings. So we pray that you would do this in our hearts Help us to make decisions that we need to make right now about our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. As you sit there quietly,